Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fear less. Diabetes late night. Welcome to April's Diabetes Late Night Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. I'd like to thank you for tuning in to our unique blend of diabetes empowerment featuring great music, expert advice, and prize giveaways to help encourage you to live your best diabetes life. Tonight, we're featuring the music from Chinese pianist Lang Lang from his album, New York Rhapsody, which pays homage to the great city of New York and the music it has inspired. Lang Lang is considered to be one of the most famous classical musicians in the world. He played to a billion viewers at the opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics and has performed at the White House and Buckingham Palace. When he was a boy, very few children in China learned the piano. Now there's said to be over 40 million people in China seeking to emulate him. They call it the Lang Lang Effect. Well, tonight, the Lang Lang Effect is inspiring us to talk about the difference between Western and Eastern medicine, holistic foot care, healthy ways to enjoy Chinese food, and empowering people to manage their diabetes with a glamour, fearless attitude. My guests include Gla- my guests include Grammy Award-winning vocalist Lisa Fisher. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Pa- podiatrist Dr. Michelle Summer Colon, diabetes advocate Eugene Wells Basilio, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, and Mama Rosemarie. Plus, I'll be giving away a fabulous Divabetic Prize Pack, courtesy of Cabot Cheese, New Naturals, and Dr. Greenfields. Later on in this show. Now, take a minute to follow me on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and donate to Divabetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. And don't forget to tune into our Divabetic Facebook page on Sunday, April 16th, for my Facebook Live video at the New York City Easter Parade. It's my fifth anniversary of raising awareness for diabetes at outdoor parades and festivals in New York City. Now, trumpeter Sean Jones joins Lang Lang on this West Side Story classic tonight by Leonard Bernstein. Let's take a listen, courtesy of Sony Music.
Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. And in April, we're celebrating Luther Vandross. His birthday would be April 20th. Um, my first guest had a chance to meet Luther Vandross backstage in Rochester, New York. Please welcome to the show Mama Rosemarie. Hi, Mama Rosemarie. Good evening. It's nice to be here. You did get a chance to meet my former boss, Luther Vandross. Was it in Syracuse or Rochester? I think it was in both places. I think it was in Syracuse, to tell you the truth. But I did see him in Syracuse and in Rochester, New York, and Las Vegas, and Charlotte. We could go on and on. It was. Um, I always enjoyed his concert so much. It was so much fun. Thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, it's hard to believe it was 24 years ago that I yes. first started working with Luther on the Never Let Me Go tour. <laughs> and later mm-hmm. on, Lisa Fisher is going to be joining us, who was uh, one of Luther's featured va- vocalists on my very first tour. And she'll be talking a little bit about her work on Lang Lang's album, New York Rhapsody. But right now, we're talking about Lang Lang, the classical uh, pianist, and uh, everything to do with Chinese. I know both you and I love Chinese food, so I'm anxious to hear your tip this month. Well, it's so good to be on, and I would love to share this tip Um, this month. It involves healthy ways to order Chinese food. Although Chinese food is one of America's most popular and healthy ethnic cuisines, it can be high in sodium. Make sure you to ask the chef to use less oil when he's preparing the stir fry and to leave out soy sauce, MSG, and salt if possible. Keep in mind that many main dishes have portions that are often quite large, so try ordering fewer entrees then you have dinner companions. Then divide these up and devour. And that's my hip for this month. Ciao for now. All right. Well, make sure you order me an egg roll while you're watching the uh, Easter Parade video, Mom. I'll be shooting from on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, eggs are the Easter thing, so I will. <laughs> All right, well, our next song was nominated for a Grammy this year and features actor Jeffrey Wright, the vocalist Lisa Fisher. It's called Somewhere, Dirty Boulevard, from Lang Lang's album, New York Rhapsody, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's take a listen. Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and that was a phenomenal Lisa Fisher who performed with Lang Lang on his album, New York Rhapsody. Uh, many of you know Lisa Fisher from performing with Luther Vandross 
the Rolling Stones, Tina Turner, and Sting, and she's coming up in a minute. But before that, I wanted to take a minute and, and to uh, recognize Luther Vandross during April and encourage everyone to keep their house a, house a home and learn how to prevent a stroke. I have one of the Facebook group uh, leaders on the show for Luther Vandross. He, he called in today. He's going to ask Lisa a question. Leon Petrosen, you're on the air with us tonight. I know we reached out to all the Luther fans to see if they had any questions for Lisa Fisher. I'm dying to know what question you had before she comes on. Oh, hey, hey, Max. How y'all doing? So, you, what is, you know, you, you've been facilitating the Facebook page for years for uh, Luther Vandross. So many people from around the globe are still very committed to his music and, uh, you know, always want to share, um, always looking for people to share uh, personal stories and tidbits. What was the question you had for Lisa Fisher? Um, just for Lisa, I was just uh, really wanted to know um, wh- how her music career really started, like the very beginning. And then how it kind of developed to working for Luther, going yeah. solo, winning the Grammy, moving on to yeah. work with the Rolling Stone, and then appearing in the Oscar-winning documentary, um, 20 Feet from Stardom. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think uh, I think that's a great question, and we will definitely ask her. I mean, I, I think it's so important to take a minute, though, and recognize that Luther Vandross did suffer a stroke due to his type 2, complica- uh, type 2 diabetes. And because of that, I want to just take a minute to recognize the National Stroke Association's five sudden and severe symptoms of stroke, which are sudden numbness of weakness of face, arm, leg, especially on one side of the body, sudden confusion, trouble speaking or understanding, sudden trouble seeing in one or both eyes, sudden trouble walking, dizziness, loss of balance or coordination, and sudden severe headache with no known cause. Now, if any of those symptoms happen to you or a loved one, you should call 911 immediately uh, if you observe one of those symptoms and make sure to note the time that first symptom occurred. That information is important and can affect the treatment decisions. And I think it is so important for Luther fans as well as their loved ones uh, to take that information to heart. Well, guess what, Leon? You're, uh, we have the good fortune of welcoming our artist of the day, Miss Lisa Fisher, to the podcast. Hello, Lisa. Yeah. Hello. I can hear you now. How <laughs> I was are so nervous you? I dropped the phone. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming. Call- Calling in tonight, you know, we just had Leon, who's the um, he he put together the Luther Vandross uh, Facebook group, and he we have a couple questions for you. But I want to kick off by talking a little bit about our music act spotlight tonight, which is Lang Lang. You had the uh, pleasure of working with him on New York Rhapsody in the studio, I think, and then you also went and did live at Lincoln Center with him. What was that experience like? It was just so amazing to perform with him. He's such a giving artist, and uh, he had so many wonderful guests. And uh, just being even at the rehearsal was just beautiful. We could see what was coming, and he's such joy when he plays. It's infectious, you know? Yeah, I met him backstage at Carnegie Hall, and I just thought he was so Wonderful. How did you get involved in that project? Because it's such a great album. I mean, I think people should really check it out. There's so much great music from Empire State of Mind to the song Somewhere That You're On, that which was nominated for a Grammy, Moon River, and even um, Tonight off of West Side Story. 
Right. So uh, Larry Klein, who's a producer, I think was the one that arranged uh, our meeting and, and me being able to actually uh, perform the song uh, with Lang. And uh, uh, they got in touch with the manager. That's sort of how that all happened. <laughs> and then you just showed it. Was Jeffrey right there when you recorded, or were you in the studio by yourself? Lisa? Hello, hello? Hello, Oh, I can hear you now. Yeah, I uh, was wondering if you were in the studio by yourself or if you were in the studio with Lang Lang and Jeffrey Wright when you recorded somewhere. Uh, we were in the studio, um, just Larry and I, and then I think Jeffrey came in later. You're breaking hello? up a little bit. Oh, I'm so sorry. I think I'll try to work. Yeah, so Jeffrey came in later. All right. all right. Well, I was trolling the I was trolling YouTube, uh, checking out all the things that you've been involved in, and I found this woman named Delisa Hunter, who provide who provides a vocal anal- analysis of you. She said you're a lyric soprano, gorgeous mid range with gorgeous uh, high notes. You have a whistle extension up to a G6, and you could belt up to a G5. Is that an accurate description of your voice and what does a G6 and G5 mean? I think um, I think the, the letters and the numbers represent the notes on the piano so middle C would be C1 I, I'm assuming <laughs> I'm assuming that's what it is um, I don't really uh, look at my lips and I just try to just sing and have a good time don't really kind uh, of get notes that don't hit and all that sort of thing. Um, I do have a good time to me. That's the most important. Well, to Leon me. wanted to know how you got your musical start. So, how were you? Did you uh, go to school for vo- voice, or was it just something that naturally mm. happened? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? A little bit. You're still breaking up a little bit. I am so sorry, Max. Um, let me try standing near the window. Uh, I just moved, so it's like I'm learning the, the hot spots in the building. Is that any better? Yes, it's much better. It's perfect. Okay, good. So, I don't have clothes um, on if you're standing by the window, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I guess at home and in church. Called the Cupids, and they had a song called uh, "Your Dog Likes My Dog" and the answer to your prayer. And so they're always rehearsing, and so there's always music in the house. And then um, I don't know, music just seemed to be my best friend, and so I ended up eventually music in art high school couple of years and then I just started singing and meeting different people and that's how I ended up meeting Luther really I love those kinds of stories because you don't really hear it that way it always seems so orchestrated yours seems so free flowing it's kind of lovely <laughs> it seems like that connects to the you know it connects to the next one and it's been really amazing I couldn't you couldn't plan it you know if you wanted to I, I couldn't yeah 
Well, you have had an extraordinary career. Now, you were interviewed at Eugene Lang College two years ago, and you said during the interview that you feel like everyone who supports someone is a background singer. So many of my listeners every month support someone either living with diabetes or have people supporting them with diabetes. I just wanted to ask you to kind of explain that um, comment because I thought it was it's such a great comment and it totally applies to Diva Medic. Yeah, I think, you know, with music being what it is, it's a it's a, a way to connect with people. It's a gift. And, you know, I just always want people to feel that what they do is really important no matter who's watching. If there's an audience, if there's no audience, you have to feel good about what it is you do when you love and support people. Um, and each of us need some love and some support in some way at different times in our lives. And I think the circle becomes more complete when you actually do that for other people as well. It just feels like a, a healthy thing to do. It feels good. No, I, I, and that was such a brilliant response. I, I really uh, thank you for sharing that. You know, um, you also said in another interview how interpersonal harmony has a lot to do with vocal harmony. So uh, it was in an interview you did, I think, while you were touring Massachusetts, and the reviewer was really asking you, like, the role you play as a background vocalist. And I have a couple questions from the Luther group, uh, fan group, but I just wanted to know, like, so when you go in the studio, you kind of have to feel out the other singers you're working with right before you begin singing to kind of really make that work? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're really lucky and maybe you've sung with some of the singers before and that always is helpful because you know each other's personalities and the weight of the voice and uh, the person's sound and their strengths. And then you sort of kind of blend with that. You, it really makes a difference if you know someone, but if you don't, that's always an interesting ride too, because you have to learn it right on the spot. Like, what is the sound? What what is required? What does the producer want? What does the songwriter want? What's possible? Um, should we sing harmony together, or should we sing the same note and stack what they call stacking harmonies? Where, you know, let's say you and I are in the studio and we're singing together. Should we be singing two separate notes, or should we be singing the same note and then do another recording over that with a new note? You know, and so there's just so many different ways to go about it. Um, and I love learning people's voices and just energies and what's required. And so when you sang the hook on somewhere, were they was there a specific thing they were asking you to do? Because we're going to play it at the end of the show again so people could hear it. I'm just curious, like, did the producer or Lang Lang or anyone say, this is what we're looking for, this is the way we want you to approach it? You know, I was really lucky. Larry Klein is an amazing producer, and so I was really lucky. He just really allowed me to be myself, which I think is the sign of a really great producer. Um, you really want the person to be their natural selves, so he was just helpful um, in me being comfortable and just belting it out. <laughs> No, I, I mean, and it's phenomenal. I've, I think I've listened to. I think I've worn out that track on Spotify. You probably have, you'll probably see the numbers going up. Uh, but th- you brought up an important thing about being comfortable in your own skin, and that comes up in a lot of your interviews. We talk a lot about body image and diabetes on our monthly podcast, and I wanted to ask you about body image and background singers because over the years, from my own work with many vocalists, I've known. Um, 
there's been a lot of people who sing the song, but then when it comes to the video, they don't appear in it. And I'm just curious how you feel if there's any negativity about how body image in the background singer because of the role you play and, and again, trying to please certain artists and, and fit into their collective image of, you know, what they think should be on stage. I'm just, I'm wondering uh, what your thoughts are on that. You know, it's, I think, different in every situation uh, according to what the artist is trying to put across. There are some artists that would prefer the singers to sound a particular way and to look a particular way according to their vision of what they want to present. And it's sort of a representation of uh, their own vision of themselves as well. Um, you know, some artists would prefer the women not to be heavy. Some prefer their artists to just be happy in their own skin. Um, you usually find more of the first one. Um, but for me, it's been a wonderful experience just going through all the different phases, you know, having been doing this for a while. Um, you know, I've been in the position where, you know, I'm worried about my weight and it got to the point where I was bulimic and it was just not a healthy way to live. Um, and once I got past that stage, um, you know, I just decided I just need to love myself more. That really is the lesson. We all have our lessons sort of that we need to learn. And at the end of the day, it's really about self-love. And there's lots of that on stage because right now you're touring around with your band, The Grand Baton, and you mm -hmm. have several live shows coming up. I got to see you in um, the Blue New in New York, but people in New Orleans, mm -hmm. Hollywood, Seattle, Phoenix, Minneapolis, Albany, Austin, are all going to have the opportunity to enjoy you. And it's, it, your set list is so unique. You're covering <laughs> Led Zeppelin's um, Immigrant Song, Rolling Stones, mm -hmm. Gimme Shelter, Wild Horses. And in Massachusetts, you even threw in a cover last year of A House Is Not a Home by Luther Vandross on in July around <laughs> the anniversary of his passing. Uh, mm -hmm. Just tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this set list because it's extraordinary and it's a wonderful show, and I hope everyone goes to support you. Oh, thank you, Max. It's just been an extension of what I love, and I'm just trying to keep it as simple and as beautiful as possible. Um, we have four souls on stage. Uh, three of them are J.C. Maillard, who's a musical director. He does all the arrangements, and he's a lovely dreamer, and he has a lovely sense of freedom. So within that, it allows myself and uh, Aiden Carroll, who's our bassist, and uh, Terry Arpini, who's our drummer, to just dream together, just be together in the music and really let the music be the boss and uh, and just find each other in this crazy madness of the music and, and not um, make it what it was, but to have it be something new uh, to ourselves. Like, you know, if you have... Uh, a story of uh, the three little pigs and, you know, you have 12 different people reading it. It's all going to be a different reading. And so it's sort of in that mindset. And I just sing what I like. I sing what I like and I sing what I love and I sing what has been a part of my life as well on some levels. Well, it's phenomenal. And I mean, your, your new, Version. I don't even want to say version, but the new, the way you're interpreting "How Can I Ease the Pain" is really glorious, and it just kind of, <laughs> to me, when I heard you sing it, and I, I think I've seen you do it twice now because I saw you also at Birdland uh, a couple mm. years ago, right after Twenty Feet from Stardom, 
it it just really to me represented your whole journey because it was such a nice footprint on a, on that song. You know, you just kind of I'm just curious, like what came, what made that change happen in you? Because it it is really special. Oh gosh, it was um, a painful growing process <laughs> because you know a lot of times you're always looking back. You're always looking back. You're like, I'm not who I used to be. I don't look the way I used to look. I don't sound the way I used to sound, and just all these fear-based voices. Um, this was sort of a letting go for me, and I had a lot of love and support to just go ahead and embrace who I am in this moment and do my best in this moment. And I think that's all that we all can do as human beings, really. I love it. All right. Well, now we're going to go on a musical journey because there are a lot of questions from the Luther Vandross Facebook group. Uh, you mm-hmm. might recognize this voice. <laughs> we stole that oh. from you. I think we owe you some money. <laughs> but um, his birthday is coming up on April 20th. People have been writing in from around the globe. Uh, my good friend, um, we ha- you answered Leon's question. I thought this was an interesting question from uh, Mark Love, who's in the Luther Vandross Facebook group, wondering mm-hmm. whether anyone who really knew the man, not the celebrity, could take a few moments and share a story that would illustrate Luther Vandross, the man, to the fans. Mm-hmm. What would you share? Um, let's see. I remember one time we were, I don't remember the city, but we were touring on a bus and Luther, uh, shared the bus with, uh, the band. He didn't separate himself during that time. And we were all on the same bus and, you know, he used to love to play Pac-Man. And so we had the Pac-Man machine going on in the back and we're waiting for the rest of the band members to come on the bus. I had already, you know, got on the bus, and Luther got on the bus. I think we were the first two on the bus. And uh, uh, a stranger walked into the bus, like, without any permission. It was sort of kind of eerie and scary. Um, it, it was probably an adoring fan, but I think the way that Luther reacted was very paternal and very um, guarded. You are entering our home. This is the home we sleep in to get from point A to point B. And he just made sure the guy got off the bus. (laughs) I love it. I I totally agree with that. All right, Jane from England wants to know, can you give some insight into how Luther rehearsed his background singers? Or vocalist, we always call you vocalist. Ah, okay. Yeah, he used to to like to work backwards a bit in the sense like if there was a new song we were learning, he would learn, he would teach the most difficult part first, I noticed. At least this is my thought. You know, everyone's going to have their own interpretation of what they thought. But mine was is that he would uh, look at the most difficult part first, do that, and teach each voice part separately. Um, and he would force us to listen because, you know, singers have a habit of singing along and singing along and, and uh, when they shouldn't be singing along. And I was guilty of it all the time, and it took me a while to break the habit. But if he was teaching a part, um, you would have to be quiet so the person could actually learn the part. <laughs> and so he was very much a teacher. Uh, and then once we learned the most difficult parts first, then he would go back and then do the rest of the song. Um, and it was repetition, repetition, repetition. And then once we knew the notes, that was just the first step. 
the next step was really um, nuances, um, air, breath, uh, tone. And he would also try different things, like if he put you on a particular part and didn't really like the way that felt, he would switch it up according to the need of the song. He was definitely true to the music. And, uh, you know, because sometimes in the studio it would be a different set of singers versus the singers who were actually on the road. So, you know, it was like putting on um, a Cinderella slipper or something. You know, it's like finding the right fit, you know, finding musically the right fit with the people uh, in the live performances versus the studio and to his satisfaction. And then and then he would sing along and then we would all just sing together and it was a beautiful thing. I just got chills because I was thinking of when you did Don't Want to Be a Fool in 1993 and the Never Let Me Go Tour. All right, here's your final question from Richard Mills, who's also from England. Bernard Fowler teamed up with Earl Slick and toured performances of David Bowie's Station to Station album. I love how specific yes. people are. Would Lisa Fisher consider teaming up with Bernard and touring on an even more soulful album like Young Americans? I think together, center stage, they would be electric, and people would love to hear those songs live. What's wow. your response to that? That's such a beautiful thought. I mean, you know, Ava <laughs> Cherry, her her history is so rich uh, with David Bowie and Luther during that time. Um, that would probably be, be a great idea, too, to bring her, you know, with Bernard. And, and uh, yeah, I, I would be honored. You know, I'm always game and open for all of it if the, if the music is... Uh, is open to it, you know what I mean? And the powers of be are open to it. I think that would be a great idea. I, I, I love too. it. I mean, Bernard's I, amazing. You know, so I'm, I'm so thrilled to have you back on the show. And I, I mean, I met you in '93. Then I saw you in San Francisco. You were touring with the Rolling Stones, and we had a coincidental thing where I was for... at the I was working at the regional theater, and you came in. And then I I, I got a job Halloween, working for Lionel Richie, and I met you mm-hmm. when you were with Tina Turner. I mean, I keep running mm-hmm. into you in the most interesting places. And you seem you so happy now. I mean, I lo- I just have to tell you, in my heart, it was so it's so profoundly wonderful to watch you on stage. And I loved watching oh. you in the, the documentary as well. But are you having a good time? Because it just seems to me, when I saw you at the Blue Note, you were just having the time of your life. I am, Max. I really am. There's a certain kind of freedom in just letting the music be the boss. Um, and that feels really comfortable for me. Do you remember that time I met you? Uh, I was I was uh, looking for a Halloween costume, and I yes. hadn't seen you in a billion years, and we bumped into each other there. I was just like, what? <laughs> it was just so I know you, you were a French maid. We should just tell everyone right now. I rem- yes, I don't know why I, I remember that, but I remember it. And I remember, like, I would escort you out to stage when you would do How Can I Ease the Pain in the yeah. little break and the Never Let Me Go tour. Like, you would yeah. come out in solo, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's just, it is really, you know, it's an interest. I, I'm sure people are bored right now, but we're having a good time catching up. Well, thank well, you so much, Lisa, for being on the show. You know, we always uh, have the opportunity to showcase different artists from Sony Music, and you really helped us honor uh pianist Lang Lang tonight by sharing a little bit about what it was like for to work with that on with him on that album. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. And just kudos to you for everything that you're doing for for the foundation and, and for people in general with their health. It's just beautiful what you do. 
Thank you. And and uh, I'll see you April 20th for uh, the celebration for Luther. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the amazing Lisa Fisher, and she's performed with Lang Lang, who said when he was a kid, he was too shy. Music became a kind of communication. Through piano, a lot of people could start to understand what he was thinking. Here's his version of Breakfast at Tiffany's Academy Award-winning song off the album New York Rhapsody called... Moon River. But I'm not too nervous to introduce you to my next guest. She is a uh, physician, a surgeon, a health coach, a yoga uh, teacher, an anatomy instructor, author, an overall health and wellness expert on a quest to help women create balanced, healthy lives by looking at the whole picture. Please welcome to the show the lovely Dr. Michelle Summers Colon. Hello, Dr. Michelle. Hi, Max. How are you today? So good. I'm, I'm so glad to turn the tables on you because I was intervi- interviewed by you on your podcast a couple of months ago, and now I finally get to have you on my podcast. <laughs> I know. It's awesome. Um, you know, you call yourself the holistic uh, podiatrist, and I thought it was such a great team up with you and Lang Lang because tonight we're talking a little bit about Western and Eastern medicine and how it relates to diabetes. I wanted to ask you uh, to kind of explain what a holistic podiatrist is and the difference between maybe what people would just consider a mainstream podiatrist. Yeah, well, really, the difference between Eastern and Western medicine in general, um, in my opinion, is with Eastern medicine, it's really, you really look at the root cause of the issue. And in Western medicine, it seems like most of the doctors are just treating the symptoms. So patient comes in with pain, they give them an injection or a pain pill, and then they send them on their way. Um, But with Eastern medicine, the doctor really sits down and takes time to figure out what's going on with you. And that's where I see the difference. And really blending the two together is what I like to do in my practice. So when I call myself a holistic podiatrist, I'm trying to bring in as much of the Eastern medicine philosophy and treatments as I can into the profession of podiatry so that I can help my patients get better and then stay better so they're not just coming to me when they're in pain. All right. Well, I know you have your practice in Southern California, California, and you do treat a lot of people with diabetes. So I'm curious to kind of uh, just to go into a little bit further explanation with this. Like what's a common maybe one of the common things you see among patients with diabetes and and how do you treat them from that holistic viewpoint? Well, one of the most common problems that we see, of course, is the diabetic ulcers on the feet. So what happens with diabetes um, in general is 
when someone's had diabetes for a long time, they start getting numbness in their feet. And because their feet are numb, they are walking around in maybe shoes that don't fit right or shoes that are too tight or they're rubbing and causing a blister and they don't feel it. And, you know, in a person without diabetes, they would feel the blister, they would take their shoe off, and they would switch shoes. But in someone with diabetes and the neuropathy and the numbness, they wouldn't feel it. So they would just keep walking around with that shoe until the blister has popped and now it's turned into an ulcer. And so a lot of times they come to me once it's already gotten past that stage and now they have this ulcer that's gotten infected. And so we have to look at what we can do to address all the different things that are going on from their exercise, their activity level, to their nutrition, um, and also, of course, to their shoe gear and their treating their infection as well. And do you ever recommend, like, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the neuropathy for a minute. Do you ever recommend, like, acupuncture or herbal medicines or massage from that kind of Eastern philosophy or no? Yeah, I do. I recommend all of those types of things because, there are so many things that people can do for neuropathy. And, you know, in mainstream medicine here in the U.S., it's, there's just a couple things that most of the doctors offer them, which are a couple different medications. Um, we also can offer some vitamins and some different creams and things like that that can also help with that. But getting their diet and nutrition under control is the first thing. And then we can also look at um, the things that you're talking about, like some of the different herbs and massage and therapy, um, like physical therapy, movement, that kind of thing as well. I would assume that one of the biggest issues is people coming to you too late, right, when they're already at a health crisis versus beforehand. So in a perfect world, when should someone with diabetes start adding a podiatrist into their healthcare entourage, as we like to say at Divabetics? They should start to see a podiatrist as soon as they get the diagnosis of diabetes because even though they're not having symptoms in their feet at that time, we can put them on um, a plan and we can start seeing them um, every six months or something like that. That's what is recommended for diabetic patients that aren't really having any symptoms yet but more of a diabetic foot checkup. And so we can see them regularly. We can see the changes that are happening because as we get older, our bones change. We get arthritis in some of our joints, in our toes. We get bunions and hammer toes and things like that. And so as we're getting older, with or without diabetes, these things are changing. And with the diabetes, that just adds another component because now the shoes can rub on those pressure points. And so if we can start seeing them right away, we can talk to them about all those things ahead of time and talk to them more about their nutrition because a lot of times patients are coming to me when they've been diagnosed and they say, well, my doctor told me not to eat sugar. And that's pretty much their whole education on diet. They weren't told about bread and tortillas and all these other foods that act as sugar when they get metabolized in the body. No, I think I, I love that, and I agree with you. I don't think we ha we don't nearly have enough education, and in China especially, there's such an outbreak now of diabetes, and they're just saying that they're they haven't been very preventive in educating people about it, and now they're really facing what they're calling a tsunami as far as a health crisis with so many people now being diagnosed with diabetes. I did put out on several of my Facebook. Um, 
and social media posts that you were going to be on the show. A lot of questions came up about hammer toes and bunions, which you just mentioned from the women. And several people wanted to know, are there non-surgical ways to fix those issues or is surgery the only, how does it happen? How do you get them? And then how can you fix them? Well, it's mostly genetic. So I know that a lot of people have been told throughout the years, it's kind of an old wife tells that wearing the wrong shoes will cause bunions and hammer toes. And that's actually not true. Um, they've done a lot of studies over that over the years. So it's genetics. If your mom has a bunion and hammer toes or your dad, your grandparents, you, you could probably get them as well. So knowing that, knowing your genetics, and at that point you can start thinking about, okay, I'm starting to get a pressure point on the side of my foot. Maybe I'm getting a bunion. Maybe I need to switch shoes. So the shoes can make the problems worse when you already have them, but they don't cause them. So I just want to be really clear on that because that's one of those things that most people believe. And in terms of treatments for the, for the bunions and hematos, surgery is the only thing that's going to put all the bones back in place. So if you want that bump taken off and you don't want the toe sticking up, yeah, surgery is the only thing that will do that. But not all patients need surgery for that because some patients have a bunion and they don't have any pain at all and they wear really good shoes, they wear sneakers, really good supportive shoes, and so they're not having any shoe pressure and they, they walk around perfectly fine with that bunion on their foot. Um, they don't need surgery. There are some podiatrists because I, I've had a lot of patients that have come to me with this that as soon as you go to the podiatrist's office, you see a bunion and they tell them right away you need surgery. They don't even have pain and they weren't even coming in there for the bunion. They were coming in for an ingrown toenail or something else. So, you know, you really have to think about your pain level and are you able to wear shoes comfortably or are you getting pressure points that are causing blisters or calluses or corns? And can you wear shoes? Can you even get your foot in the shoe? Because some patients' feet are so deformed from the bunions and hammer toes that they can't even wear shoes anymore and they're wearing sandals all the time. So when you answer those questions, then you can determine, okay, maybe it's at that point where I need surgery. I mean, a lot of times that's also just due to vanity, right? Because they don't like how their feet look now and they want to have it fixed immediately. I mean, people, it just seems like going back to what you were saying about being holistic, that sometimes we seek the treatment so fast, we're not looking at the bigger picture and trying to solve it. And just like you said, sometimes on the other side of the table, our, our medical professionals might have that same attitude about let's just fix it and, and not really kind of sit down and work through the problem with you. And I know one of the ways you work through problems in your own life as well as with your patients is yoga. I'm just uh, so many women also talk a lot about yoga and diabetes. I'm curious uh, how you got interested in yoga and what kind of results you've seen both personally and professionally. Oh, that's a great question. I really got into yoga because I was having some back pain and sciatica that was not getting better with the traditional Western medicine treatments, which they were giving me um, pain pills, narcotics, and muscle relaxers. And I would, of course, just like with anything, I would, when I took the medicine, I would feel fine, but as soon as the medicine wore off, there's the pain again. So I went to some specialists, and they told me I needed back surgery. And I knew that at the age of 35, I didn't need back surgery. So then I, I started seeking out holistic medicine, and I met a chiropractor that was helping me a lot, and then I found yoga and Ayurveda, which is Indian medicine. And that's when I really started using food as medicine. And I started treating my symptoms with herbs and I started doing yoga, 
and I started getting more and more flexible and the pain started going away in my back and I started adding weights into my workouts. And so that's why I got into yoga and that really helped me a lot. And I, I'm pretty much pain free in my back these days. And now it's like 12, 13 years later and I never did need that back surgery. So that's why I always tell my patients when they come in and tell me, Oh, this doctor said I needed surgery for this or that. You know, I start asking them a lot of questions, you know, are you in pain? What else have you done? Because, you know, even though I am a doctor and I'm trained in surgery, not all doctors are telling you the right information when it comes to surgery. Well, I, I mean, I look at what you, you do. You're a physician, you're a surgeon, you're a health coach, you're a yoga instructor, you're an anatomy uh, instructor, and you're an, uh, as well as an author and an overall health and wellness expert. How do you juggle all that stuff? Because so many women who tune into Divabetic month after month are not the first priority in their life. They're being pulled a million different directions. When I read everything that you, who you are in the description, I would assume at some point you feel like you might be pulled in a million directions. I'm wondering how you mastered that and what you advice you could give to the women listening. Well, the first thing I had to do was to get my health under control, which is what I was just explaining to you about. Um, once I right. got my, yeah, my health under control, my pain was gone, then I started feeling like myself again. Then I was able to start, you know, incorporating more things into my daily routine. And so just really, um, you know, making sure, I, I know this sounds really basic, but it really is basic, and because of our busy lifestyles, we don't do it. But making sure I get enough sleep, um, not staying up too late to try to get everything done. So even though there's a lot of projects that aren't finished, you know, I still have to go to bed on time. So I get seven or eight hours of sleep, eating well so that I feel good throughout the day. Um, when we're on the go and eating fast food and running around, you know, too, being too busy, we just aren't really that effective and we actually get less done. So just slowing down and um, really looking at my priorities and deciding, you know, what do I need to do today? Just take it one day at a time look at your schedule and what you need to do today. And a lot of experts say, just put three things on your list of what you need to do today. Don't put 10 or 20, you know, put three main things like, you know, take care of the kids, go to work, and maybe, you know, one project that you're going to work on. Um, because when you put too many things on there, you just get overwhelmed and then nothing gets done. And the world just keeps going faster and faster and faster and faster. And so I think that's great advice. All right. So, uh, Dr. Michelle, we like to have a lot of fun at DivaBetic and play games. And so because you were going to be on the show, we, you, you inspired our instant winner challenge tonight. And I posted this question on our social media, and over 50 people answered. However, I think this is really interesting, only 20 of them got the answer right, so they qualify for the uh, random drawing. I'm going to read the question. You're not going to answer yet and then we'll play some music, and then you'll come back with an answer. So the question, because we have Dr. Michelle Summercolon on the show tonight, shoes with heels should be no more than A, one inch high, B, two inches high, three, or C, excuse me, three inches high, D, four inches high. We'll be right back with the answer to that question, but first, by popular demand, I will play the theme song from Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is Moon River, courtesy of Sony Music, off of Lang Lang's new album, New York Rhapsody. Enjoy. Moon River, wider than a mile, I'm crossing you in style. 
fashionistas who tune in every month to Divabetics Diabetes Late Night Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and we're back with Southern California's holistic podiatrist, Dr. Michelle. Thank you for being on the show tonight. This is a big Divabetic question, and it is a big dilemma for a lot of women with diabetes when it comes to buying high heels, because uh, I think Audrey Hepburn in that movie was sporting a kitten heel. So first, before you answer our question, Dr. Michelle, you have to choose a number from 1 to 20. 13. 13. Okay, so our instant winner tonight, well, I'll announce it after you tell us the answer to the question. (laughs) All right, so the question, we're not going to announce the incident winner yet, but we'll, we'll repeat the question. Shoes with heels should be no more than, is it A, one inch high, B, two inches high, three, C, three inches high, or D, four inches high? What is the correct answer, Dr. Michelle, and why? Would you be really upset with me if I said it, that it was not one of your choices, but it was one and a half inches? Oh really? All right. Well, we'll still give the we'll still give it to Lucky Thirteen. But why would it, can you find a heel that's one and a half inches? It's really hard. It's going to be like you said, one of those kitten heels or one of those really small. Um, it almost looks like a flat. But what what sometimes you can find is let's say you can find a shoe that is two and a half inch heel, but it has a little platform in the front. So. When you subtract the platform from the heel, it evens it out, and you can get it close to one and a half inches. Is that the best kind of high heel to get, that one with a little platform in the front as well? It is. If you're you're looking for something, let's say you're looking at a three-inch heel, but it does have a platform, that's going to be a lot better for you than without the platform because of the, the pitch angle. So what you really want to look at is, the angle that the rest of your foot is on from your the ball of your foot to, to your heel. And the higher that angle is, in the, other words, the higher up your heel is from the ball of your foot, the more pressure on the ball of the foot. And so much pressure causes problems like nerve impingement and calluses and overall foot pain in the ball. So if you're, wearing, if you're living with diabetes and you're beginning to have a little neuropathy, High heels could really aggravate. Is that what you're saying? Could really kind of aggravate aggravate what you're feeling, or some of the symptoms of that? Yeah, because you you would start adding other types of nerve pain, and you already have nerve pain in that part of your foot. So yeah, it could definitely aggravate it. Okay, so for the fashionistas out there, because they tune in every month, and I know they don't want to give up their stilettos. Uh, how do you recommend wearing stilettos in a healthy way? And this probably will be on my Twitter feed later on, just so you know. Well, one of the things, see, this this is a really um, important question because women of all types, diabetics and non-diabetics, ask that question all the time. And so you really want to look at shoes that are going to have that platform in the front that have the right type of material so you don't want to get some cheap, um, plastic, you know, you want to get really high quality leather and um, you want to have the toe box in the front that is not too pointy. So those really, really pointy heels um, that were in style for a while, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they're kind of going a little out of style, but those are probably the worst type of, of shoes for you in terms of heels. An open toe box, so a peep toe is going to be a lot better for you because it's giving your toes some more breathing room. All right, well, that's great advice. Listeners?
Our lucky winner tonight is Gwen Campbell. I think I met Gwen down in Washington, D.C. years ago when I was performing with the Taking Control of Your Diabetes Expo. Uh, Gwen Campbell, you're our instant winner uh, winner tonight, and for helping raise awareness for diabetes in a fun new way with Dr. Michelle, where you are going to receive a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic, safe, low glycemic, tooth friendly sweeteners, a Cabot cheese gift basket filled with assortment of delicious, low fat cheeses, Dr. Greenfield's diabetic foot, hand, and body lotions, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. And if you didn't win this month, guess what? We'll be posting another instant winner challenge game next month on our Divabetic Facebook page. You might just be a winner. Dr. Michelle, thank you so much for being a guest on the show tonight and helping us raise awareness for diabetes. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful night. And everybody else, get ready because there's more Lang Lang coming up and I've got two more divas. Right now, though, I want to play a song. I think my favorite New York song, Alicia Keys and Jay-Z made it famous, but here's Lang Lang with Audra Day. Even if it ain't all it seems, I got a pocket full of trees, baby, I'm a New York. Concrete jungle where dreams are made of, there's nothing you can't do, now you're in New York. These streets are making Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and I hope you're feeling fabulous. And if you are or you're not, you can still join, in, join us for Fabulous 2017 at, in West Palm Beach. It's a Diva Bedick benefit by Carlene Salon. We love Carlene's. Please check out all the information at divabedick.org or go to Carlene's Salon and buy your tickets today. Uh, Carlene will be a guest on next month's show when we're playing the music by Della Reese. Also... I'm going to be in Mosaic Central Farm Market on Sunday, June 4th, my first ever Diabetes Alert Dog Fashion Show with Debbie Kay and Kathy Gold. You can find out more details about all my appearances and upcoming events at divabetic.org. Now it's time to talk diva with one of the divas on Facebook. Please welcome to the show Diabetes Advocate Eugenia. Hi, Eugenia. Hi, Max. Thank you for joining us tonight on the show. I'm excited. We finally got you to be on a podcast. I know, right? Um, I'm so excited that um, I got to finally do this. Um, I actually had a uh, orientation and all hands training at work that I was trying to hurry up and get through with that. I'm like, y'all get out of here so I can get home because I got a, a podcast I got to be on. You know, so. Well, you're a very busy woman, and uh, I want to hear all about your group on Facebook. But first, tell us a little bit about what it was like when you were first diagnosed with diabetes and and what was kind of going through your head at that time. Well, um, actually, today is my 12-year anniversary of, you know, my diagnosis of being uh, diabetic. And so when I first was uh, diagnosed, uh, the night that it all happened, uh, it was about 12 o'clock at night, and I woke up and thought I was having a heart attack. And so my husband, about an hour later, you know, I was still sweating and everything, so he takes me to the emergency room. And the doctor comes back in, and he goes, well, I got some good news, and I got some bad news. The good news is is that you're not having a heart attack. The bad news is is that you're type 2 diabetic. And I just kind of, you know, I said, okay. And he goes, well, I really don't think that, are you getting what I'm saying? You're diabetic. 
And I told him, I said, you have to understand, in my family, if, you know, if you ask all the non-diabetics to stand up, they're actually the minority. So we have a lot of diabetes that runs in my family. So I've seen the, the good, the bad, and the very ugly side of diabetes. And, uh, but for myself, it was, you know, kind of surreal because the joke was in our family that if you could make it to 40, you were in the clear, you weren't going to get diabetes. And so I was like 39 when I became diabetic. Um, it was very hard the first year. Um, I went through a lot of panic attacks. I was scared to eat, um, you know, anything for fear it would make my sugar go up. And then um, it was just kind of a journey. You know, I lost 35 pounds. I got healthy. And then, um, you know, the job I was at, I got laid off. And so I was laid off for six months. And you know how it is if you're not working and you're not busy, you know, you start gaining weight. And so um, about three years ago, I uh, – had been put on a drug, you know, a, a newer drug, and it basically sent me to the hospital in DKA. And DKA is, you know, not taught and you're not trained on when you're a type, type 2 diabetic. So I didn't even know about testing for ketones and all this kind of stuff. And um, so there again, you know, now I'm a type 1. So I went in the hospital as a type 2 non-insulin dependent, you know, uh, diabetic and came out type 1. And so I had to learn, you know, for the last three years, I've had to learn over again how to be a diabetic. And everybody thinks that, you know, both diabetes are the exact same, and they're not. Um, you know, now I'm insulin dependent, and I have to watch, really watch what I eat. Uh, I wake up in the middle of the night. Sometimes I have to check my sugar. Sometimes I think I'm having a panic attack, but I actually have to get up, my, you know, check my sugar, and it's low. So, and you know, it's been, it's been an experience, but um, I look at it as a positive way. Because if I'd never gotten diagnosed, I wouldn't have been able to try to get as healthy as I've gotten. Um, I wouldn't have the opportunities to meet other people and help them. And I can always spot a newly diagnosed diabetic or someone who's dealing with a newly diagnosed diabetic. Because when we go into like a Walmart is like, my, is like my big store. And so when I go in Walmart, I can always see someone that's standing over by the diabetic stuff and they um, have this blank look on their face, and they're like, what do I do? And so I kind of go over and say, do you need some help, you know, finding, you know, diabetic stuff, you know, what's going on? And sure enough, they've either just been diagnosed or their husband or their wife or grandmother or something is going through diabetes. And so I get to, you know, share what I've learned, and um, it's, it's been kind of a blessing because, you know, um, I'm, I'm a team captain for the Walk for Diabetes here in Mississippi. Been one of those. I've been a team captain for 12 years now. And um, I've gotten to walk with a lot of great diabetics, you know, and then I see these little kids, you know, that are, are juvenile diabetics, and they're more braver than I am, you know, when it came to, you know, sticking myself with a needle. And so they're, they are a big inspiration to me. And so, but diabetes is, it's been a big journey. Um, there, I have good days, I have bad days. Uh, there's not really what you would actually classify as a um, a you know, everything's just perfect because no diabetic is, is the same. And so I really love a lot of the things that you put on the uh, diabetic website, you know, on Facebook, because it really helps me because, you know, I'm, I'm seeing all this other stuff. So it really uh, uplifts me. And then, of course, now I've started actually sharing it onto my Facebook page. So it's, it's been a journey. Well, I love that. I mean, you have, we should tell everyone, you have the Diabetic Divas Unite Facebook page. And the thing, I, I mean, I just want to sing your praises for a minute because you're so open and forthright about the struggle with diabetes. And, and I think it's so important because, I, you know, I, I'm curious to know what you thought of what Dr. Michelle said about how she feels 
I assume you're going to agree with us that we're not educating people near enough around this. And I think not only with just maybe the technical aspects of self-care management, but also the emotional side of diabetes, because you you are very honest on Facebook daily if you're having a good day or a bad day. You really do open up and talk to people about it and share that. And I think it's so uh, profoundly moving for people to hear that some days just aren't good days. Uh, thank you. I mean, yeah, and you just don't have a good day. And I mean, I'm I'm one of those people that, um, you know, don't get me talking about diabetes because trust me, I'm going to get up on my soapbox. And you know, I mean, I'm I've done a lot of research on my own. I've had a lot of really good um, doctors that have really helped me for the last three years. Uh, the Mississippi uh, Diabetes Foundation uh, here in Mississippi is really awesome. They've helped me, uh, but they don't. I mean, you know, I agree with uh, Dr. Michelle. They don't give a lot of um, information. Uh, it's really hard to, uh, you know, as type 2, like I said earlier, they don't teach type 2s about DKA because that's something that diabetic ketoacidosis only happens really and truly to type 1. And so, you know, then, of course, if you're a juvenile diabetic, they send you home with this really cute little bag with all this information in it, you know, for the parents of what to expect, and they give you all this little information. But if you're a type 1 you know, adult, you don't get the cute little bags with all the information. They just expect you to know what to do. And um, so it's, it's you know, I, I agree with her 100% on that. You know, we need more education. Um, we need to stop the, I call it the diabetic shaming. Um, you know, that, you know, if you're diabetic, you, know, you got to keep it, you know, hidden in the back room, you know. And, and, you know, I look normal on the outside, but people don't understand that just because I look normal, I can look at you and smile with a smile on my face, but I'm really having a bad day on the inside. And so, you know, they don't talk about the depression that can happen with it. And I don't like it when, you know, I read something about a diabetic that, you know, they're they're depressed, you know, and nobody's uplifting them, so to speak. So I, I try to uplift people and I think that's the reason I'm so open and honest on my Facebook you know page is because I want other people to know that it's okay if you're having a bad day it's okay if you don't feel good you know that's just part of it you know if you want to check your sugar and if, you, public, wait, and if you're having okay. multiple days like that then you know it's okay to seek help from a therapist exactly. or mental health counselor to help you through that because no one should have endless days of that and I just I think the awareness you know we spent a whole year dealing with the emotional side of diabetes on this podcast I think about three years ago and we'll probably come back to it because I just think it's so what you're saying is so true you know we, we just we just you know I don't know why there's so much shame and blame still around it but there is and I think as long as there is we need to keep fighting and I'm just so grateful uh, for what you do and I just uh, thrilled to have you on the show well, thank you, and like I said, I'm I'm glad to finally get get to be on here. Um, you know, my Facebook page, uh, Diabetic Divas Unite. You know, it's a place for you to vent. It's a place for you to, you know, just whatever it is, you know, to come there and just say, okay, you know, I've got a husband that's going through diabetes, and this is what I'm going through. You know, and it's it, it's a safe place, and I, I you know, I don't allow any kind of shaming or running down. Um, you know, on the Facebook page whatsoever, and I'm 
uh, it's starting to, the Facebook page is starting to kind of pick up, you know, momentum and more and more people are going on there and they're liking stuff and they're sharing stuff. And, and that's what that Facebook page is really all about. I started it years ago. And then after my incident three years ago and went to the hospital, um, you know, where I spent nine days and two and a half of them was on full life support. I went back and I refreshed that page and I said, this is, it became my sanity. You know, even if nobody else posted or liked anything, it was basically my sanity. And so, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show and um, keep listening and watching the, watching this, you know, because I look forward to your newsletters every single month. You know, oh, I, I don't get it out. It's all about Easter. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I love, you know, my newsletters. I look forward to getting them. And if I don't get them, you know, I think once I even sent you a little email, you know, Max, I haven't gotten my newsletter. I love it. I, I love staying in touch with everybody. I, I love having you on the show. Well, we're going to we're gonna stick around because you're going to play some games with us to win some prizes. But first, I'm oh, going to cool. have to introduce one of the Charlie's Angels of Outreach. After we play a song that many critics consider to be the centerpiece of Lang Lang's album, New York Rhapsody, a performance of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue featuring Lang Lang and multi-Grammy winning jazz legend Herbie Hancock in a 2 p.m piano version of London with the London Symphony Orchestra courtesy of Sony Music IQ, but straight ahead, in the 1980s, diabetes was a rarity affecting just 1% of China's population. Today, China has the highest number of people living with diabetes in the world, totaling 109 million people in 2015. That's roughly 11% of the population. That makes China the home of, of a to one-third of the world's diabetic population. Here to talk more about these staggering statistics, as well as she's going to be appearing on our Diabetes Mystery Podcast in September, is the lovely Patricia Addy Gentle. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Meg. Uh, so wonderful to have you on the show. I mean, these uh, statistics are quite alarming, and I think it's such a significant increase in the prevalence of diabetes in China in such a short amount of time you can't help but see kind of the impact of healthy habits, right? Exactly. No, that that is something that we have to practice throughout the world are those healthy habits. And, you know, I was privileged to go to China uh, with a delegation of American educators a few years ago uh, to help them in their plight 
with um, developing a program to certify diabetes educators there. And in during that time, it was just astonishing to see how many people are affected by diabetes. And, you know, a lot of it they attribute to the um, Western people coming over and, and doing things that have changed the lifestyles that they are accustomed to. But China is indeed plagued with a lot of diabetes at this time. Well, what were your thoughts? Were you thinking, I mean, I assume you're talking about, like, bringing soda and fast food to China, but, you know, when when we were all watching the Beijing Olympics and they weren't uh, shutting the factories because of the smog, I, I'm kind of curious, like, what you really thought, uh, you know, what you would think was the catalyst in any of this. Um, you know, I, I actually think it is the way that they metabolize, and it's actually probably more attributed to the amount of visceral fat because China's population are not really overweight people uh, for the most part, but there is more fat than muscle, especially in southern China. And so I think that is the biggest um, problem that they're seeing. That's the largest concern. They do talk about the sodas and and the food that ha, you know that has invaded their society. However, I saw a lot of older people in the classes and the settings that I went to, and these are the people who continue to eat and. Um, continue to embrace the lifestyle that they've always been accustomed to. You see more of the younger uh, people who are doing the uh, fast foods and sodas and that type thing. And so I don't think that it perhaps may be in part um, caused by the changes in the way they eat and the lifestyles that they're acquiring and developing now, but I think the majority of what you're seeing is because of the amount of visceral fat. Well, that is and so that, interesting that because it it is perplexing. I mean, I, I have worked, uh, I have done uh, outreach to different Asian organizations here in New York, and I have I've seen a lot of uh, Asian women with type two diabetes who barely weigh ninety pounds, and so exactly. you know it's confusing because I think the big message, and that we could ask Eugenia when she comes back on in a minute to play games. Uh, because she was first diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, is lose weight, lose weight. Now, if these Asian women lost weight, there wouldn't be anything left. So, I mean, it just it seems to me uh, to point to this whole different version of how we look at type 2 diabetes and how we solve it, because it's more, it, you know, like you're saying, it's about where you carry the weight in some ways, exactly. right? You're saying visceral fat, which means that around the abdomen, I assume, and sometimes they say there's an increased risk of insulin resistance because of that, exactly. correct? Exactly. It's the insulin resistance due to the amount of fat and where it's located. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening now who have type 2 diabetes in our country who are going, aha, it's not just about my weight, but that's not all. that's also not completely true either, is it? <laughs> No, that's not completely true because weight does have a large impact. And so, you know, but for people who are pretty much um, at a desirable BMI, 
they can still have insulin resistance if they're carrying the fat. Um, like we always say in the diabetes industry, if you are apple, um, then you have more insulin resistance than if you're more shapely like the pear. So apple is carrying the weight above your waist, kind of like a beer yes. belly thing? Is that yes. what you mean? Exactly. And uh, pear shape would be a little bit more bottom heavy versus hourglass, like even on the top and the bottom? Absolutely, yes. Well, one more thing before we play the games. Uh, there's almost 50 million Chinese people believed to ha be pre-diabetic. That's more than the entire population size of the United States and Canada combined. I know one of the characters in our upcoming mystery podcast, Gypsies, Tramps, and Peas, is pre-diabetic. So what is what is pre-diabetes number one, and what 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 do you want to say to people who uh, might be pre-diabetic? What does it really mean? Pre-diabetes is um, a category that we have um, detected, whereas the person is having higher blood sugars than what we consider to be normal, but those sugars have not cross the threshold where we are able to label or to diagnose that person with diabetes. It means that you are in a high-risk group, and usually there are other things that, um, not just blood sugars, but high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and most times there may be a little, um, you know, just a little increase in BMI or slightly overweight, and these people have a higher um disposition to develop diabetes. So when a person has been diagnosed with prediabetes, it's something that should be taken seriously. Lifestyle changes have to be made. Diabetes is preventable if the person with prediabetes um, does take heed and change lifestyle. It might not be completely preventable. Maybe that's not the word that I should use, but it can be delayed. The onset of true diabetes does not necessarily uh, take the forefront rapidly. You can delay the progression. I love that. I think that's in inc incredibly inspiring. Just like our next song, because when we come back, we're going to play. We're going to test uh, Eugenia's diabetes IQ with Charlie's Angel, Patricia Addy Gentle. Right now, we're going to listen to the story of Our Town from Aaron Copeland's 1940 Our Town film score, which Lang Lang picked to evoke the dozens of small towns which in, uh, consist of the big city, New York City. <laughs> yoga mat and work with our guest Dr. Michelle but right now I'm going to play some games time to wake up everybody uh, Eugenia from the Diabetic Divas Unite is back Eugenia you're going to go into the lightning round if you get these correct okay. you'll win a new naturals gift basket uh, Gabbett cheese gift basket and Dr. Greenfield's uh, basket for helping us raise awareness in a fun new way 
lots of pressure at stake, but I hope you have a good time. And Patricia will be our judge tonight. I think Patricia okay. has uh, – she gets a little crazy with the buzzer, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you, Patricia. Okay, so here's your first question. Uh, when ordering an appetizer, which is the healthy, which, which is the healthier alternative? Is it A, egg roll, B, fried dumpling, C, spare ribs, D, hot and sour soup? Ah, first one. You're going with uh, the egg roll? No, uh, the hot and the hot and spicy soup. Is that your final answer? Yes. Patricia, how'd you do? She did well. The hot and sour soup is the right answer. Although um, it's a healthier choice. Although it is a healthier choice, just keep in mind that it is, um, there is a lot of sodium. And so if, if you have diabetes and high blood pressure as well, you have to be mindful of the amount of, of sodium that you are taking each day. And for most people, we're looking at 2,300 milligrams of sodium per day. So and you know, it is the month of April, and hypertension is a big risk factor for stroke, isn't it? Um, yes, it uh, is. And because of Luther, we love to talk a little bit about that. So really, uh, someone who has high blood pressure and diabetes really needs to be mindful of their sodium intake. Yes. Okay, next question, Eugenia. Which uh-huh. foot condition mainly affects women? Is it A, bunions, B, planter's wart, C, ingrown toenails, D, all of the above? D, all of the above. Is that your final answer? Yes. Patricia? The answer yeah. is bunions. The answer is bu- Why is the answer bunions? Uh, for women, um, it just happens after years of abnormal pressure and movement. Pointy-toed shoes are a common factor. Um, it's common in ballet dancers, but whenever you put a lot of pressure on the toe, then uh, the toes are kind of cramped and they're moving and bending unnaturally. And this is what causes the bone to um, kind of, I guess, crump together and cause that bunion effect of the protrusion of the bone. Although Dr. Michelle did point out the fact that it's a, there is a huge genetic component attached to that, so very but, much uh, so. Yeah, but those great. factors right, so that we're going to go really raise that one, Eugenia, because you're the diabetic divas united, and we we want to see you uh, win, not be defeated. <laughs> How much fat does an order of kung a kung pao chicken have? Is it the equivalent to a four quarter pounders? B the equivalent to three McChickens? D, the equivalent of five hamburgers, or D, none of the above. This is frightening. I just want to say to people, we're looking at Kung Pao chicken. That is a very popular thing on the menu. Do you think the fat content is equal to four quarter pounders, three chicken chicken sandwiches, five hamburgers, or none of the above? That's a hard one uh, because I never have eaten Kung Pao chicken. Um, so I'm going to have to go out and guess with this one. I'm going to say the four hamburgers, maybe. Um, like the I five said, I, I don't eat Kung Pao or the four quarter pounders. I would say the five hamburgers. Um, Is as that your to final four answer? Four. Yeah, because I mean, I'm like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I don't eat compost. What's the answer, okay? Patricia? I mean, it's a scary answer, isn't it, Patricia? It's scary. You so close. But, Eugenia, I, I suppose you are coming fairly close, but according to my sources, the equivalent is to the four quarter pounders. Oh, my gosh. See, if, you know, I, I'm so much, I read labels, and, you know, so I pretty much know what the fat, the carbs, and the sugar content is in all my meals. So I don't eat Kung Pao chicken, so I've never researched that one. So, you know, <laughs> I kind of guessed on that one. That is kind of shocking. I mean, uh, fat in cal- high fat and calories could also be a tributor uh, to people gaining weight, right, Patricia? I mean, that's another thing people need to be aware of. Most definitely, and and the weight gain can contribute to uh, diabetes diagnosis as well. So watch that fat intake. All right. Well, you just talked about our next question, so this should be interesting for you, Gina. Which size waist is a risk factor for women to develop type 2 diabetes? Is it A, 27.5 inches, B, 29.5 inches, C, 31.5 inches, D, 33.5 inches? Again, the question was, what size waist is a risk factor for women to develop type 2 diabetes? I'm going to say the 31 and a half because the higher the waist size. Is that your final size, answer? Yes. Why did you choose that answer? Um, because, uh, you know, uh, from my research, the bigger the waist, you know, we, uh, Patricia was talking earlier about the apple, you know, uh, body type. And so anything over, a, you know, 27-inch waist is pretty small. So you're looking at a 31 to a 31 and a half. And anything over a 31 and a half, you start running the risk of prediabetes or even diabetes because of the apple figure, you know, and, and most people who are diabetic have more of that, that beer belly and that type apple, you know, bottom where you're heavier up top as opposed to down below. So. And Patricia? Ooh la la. Eugenia, you you're that? absolutely right. The 31 and a half waist for women is um, yes that is that is the cutoff that's the maximum for the waist and it does show uh studies do show us that if the waist is higher in inches that there is a higher risk and link to develop diabetes you know we have two two more we have three more questions uh and they all have to do with chinese food which if you remember at the top of the show mama rosemary was giving us advice on Chinese food. Let's bring her in, Eugene, and see if she could help you with the next question. Okay. Mama Rosemary, are you there? Yes, I am. What does chop suey mean? Is it A, salad, B, noodles, D, C, vegetables, D, leftovers? What does the term chop suey mean? I would like to say leftovers. <laughs> um <laughs> It sounds that way, doesn't it? Ooh la la. Patricia, was she right? (laughs) Yay. (laughs) That is correct. Leftovers is derived from 19th century Cantonese, the Cantonese dialect, meaning mixed bits. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right, let's see. Uh, I see that we have Leon uh, from the Luther Vandross Facebook group on. Leon, we're going to give you a question to go with the Chinese menu, helping out Eugenia win the prize tonight. Which food has okay. the lowest total fat? Is it A, sweet and sour pork, B, 
Beef and broccoli. C, General Tao's chicken. Or D, orange beef. I assume you do enjoy Chinese food occasionally, do you not? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I'm going to say B. I'm going to say B. D, uh, the food beef. with the lowest total fat is General, oh, the orange beef. Beef, beef and broccoli. Beef. Why did you I'm choose beef say, and broccoli? Uh, well, I just, hello? Yeah, we yeah. can hear you. Oh, okay. Well, I just figured the broccoli is healthy, and then beef, I always figured beef was good for you, too. All right, let's see what Patricia said. Ooh la la. Yes. You got that right, Patricia? Beef and broccoli. Yes, yes. you have done yes. well. That is yes. the correct answer. All right. We want our healthy adults to limit saturated fat intake to no more than 10% of total calories. So beef and broccoli is the best choice there. Yep. All right. I probably got one right. fascinating, isn't it, to realize how much – I mean, when you order the Chinese menu, you really have to be careful, right? Because there are – were you guys surprised by any of these answers, starting with you, Eugenia? Were you surprised a little bit about the Chinese food menu? Um, well, the Kung Pao chicken, yeah, but, like, I eat a lot of chicken and broccoli and beef and broccoli when I go out to eat, you know, Chinese food. So, you know, I'm always looking to not eat a lot of the fried stuff that's heavily breaded. So, yeah, on on the beef and broccoli, I wasn't surprised, but as far as Kung Pao chicken, yeah. (laughs) And, Patricia, what do you think people should be aware of when they're ordering Chinese? Um, they should be really have a real keen sense of the salt intake and the fat intake. When it comes to salt, you find a lot of MSG uh, in some of the um, some of the menu items, and it's always in good taste to ask the chef to limit MSG and not to add the soy sauce. And, you know, even at the table, the different additives can also impact. So watch that fat content and watch the um, the salt intake. All right, and Eugenia, for helping us raise awareness for diabetes in a fun new way and for also being so open and honest on the Diabetic Divas Unite Facebook page, you're going to receive a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic, safe, low-glycemic, tooth-friendly sweeteners, a Cabot Cheese gift basket filled with an assortment of delicious low-fat cheeses, and Dr. Greenfield's Diabetic Foot and Hand Body Lotions, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. Yay! Thank you so much. be a winner just like Eugenia next month on our show. And Leon, you know what you're going to win? What? What am I going to win? You're going to win a a Luther Tribute podcast. I'm going to host one because everyone was asking for it on that page, and I would love nothing more than to share memories with Luther with all the fans. And you've been such a wonderful ambassador of the music it's always fun to have you on the show and thank you for joining us tonight and let's urge all those fans to keep their house at home um i want to thank all my guests for joining us tonight on this very special podcast uh patricia addy gentle for joining us dr michelle summer colon grammy award-winning artist lisa fisher mama rosemarie and of course eugenia from the diabetic divas unite facebook page now don't miss me at the Easter Parade because I'm celebrating one, two, three, four, five years 
of hosting diabetes out in the street, having a great time every year, and we're going to be talking a lot about diabetic retinopathy and why it's so important to not let the parade pass you by, but to make sure you're having your eyes checked regularly with your doctor. Now, we're going to close the show with one more song from Lang Lang's New York Rhapsody album, and it's featuring Grammy Award-winning artist Lisa Fisher as well as actor Jeffrey Wright. Remember, every dude and every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's keep happy and healthy together. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah.